too good to throw away, but too small to be a program on their own. Yes, that's right. It's time for another Blow Pod Snippet Show. It's probably worthwhile me mentioning something that I think, I mean, it got noticed, but I think that the achievement itself is a little bit unheralded, and given I'm currently surrounded by two Fremantle Dockers members, it's probably appropriate to talk about that, which was Matthew Pavlich becoming the first West Australian-based player to reach 300 games. Um, Timbo, as a long-time, long-suffering Fremantle member, what have you got to say about the, the, the big snores, so to speak? Well, not much, really, isn't it? Just another game. <laughs> just wasn't a... even there for the start. <laughs> <laughs> so you really felt it. That's where it's right. <laughs> yeah. well, my response would be, surely after 300 games, comments like the big schnoz are just... <laughs> that's just the sort of disrespect you shouldn't have to put up with anymore. It works, it works. Yeah. <laughs> Does he have a big schnoz? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got nothing. Oh, yeah. You got nothing. No, I, I mean... It's beautiful well, that on this proud moment, Gigi. <laughs> I think that... It's, it's funny to say this of a guy who's won six All-Australians and has played 300 games. Is that I actually think that he's, his legacy and his career is, is still somewhat underrated. I mean, I think... The, the one thing I'll say about Matthew Pavlich is if 50, 100 years from now they're doing the best Fremantle Dockers side of all time, I can still state with absolute confidence that M. Pavlich will be, will be in that side and most probably will be captain as well. I mean, he is far and away the single most important person in that club's history. Mm-hmm. Um, to say that he's almost like the Matthew Richardson of Richmond is is a little bit unfair, but it's that same sort of thing. It's He essentially is the heart and soul, and he is everything that is the Fremantle Football Club. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, I guess it's just one of those things that because Fremantle, when they first joined with the second Western Australian team, certainly didn't get any of the ridiculous concessions and um, allowances and everything else from the AFL, um, and therefore haven't had that period of prolonged success at the top, um, I think that's some of that, the, some of that being self-inflicted. Yeah, fair enough. But I mean, if if that team had started with the Western Sydney style concessions and that, then I'd be very confident in saying they would have won a flag by now. Um, and I think that's probably the unfair thing about it um, in terms of Pavlich and his legacy is that due to the failure of Fremantle to taste ultimate success in their first what twenty years in the competition. Mm. That seems to be the, I guess, the one well, that I mean, you can hold against. Him. I think that the thing is, is that there's always been this misnomer, which is completely and utterly ridiculous, is that he wasn't a big game player. And you know, I don't. There's so many Western derbies where he's been the the difference between Fremantle winning and losing. He's historically been a very good player for them in finals. I still remember him kicking six against Geelong basically on oh, one leg. Yeah, I mean, like, last year, so how old would he have been, like 33? Yeah, he's, yeah, I think he's 30, 31, yeah. Yeah, last year he played two of the best individual games I've ever seen anyone play in all my years of watching footy, and that was the, the final against Geelong 
and also the game against Richmond at the MCG. Where that was, it was the year before. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. The, the year before, yeah. yeah. Where it was pouring with rain. The conditions were absolutely terrible for a sort of big um, mm. lead-up marking forward. Yeah. And he he single-handedly hauled Frio over the line that yeah. day. Yeah, that's right. In, um, a, in, a, in, a, in a pretty much a must-win situation. Yeah. Against a quality opponent to that stage as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I've, I just get upset that people will say that Nick Rewald is a superstar and Matthew Pavlich is just a very good player who happens to be the best player at his team. I mean, that's, that's insulting. He's at least as good as Rewald, if not better. Mm-hmm. And it's just the fact that Rewald's based in Melbourne and Pavlich is based in Perth. Yeah, it's as simple as and that. And also, Rewalt played for a team who, for an extended period, there were playing off in preliminary well, finals and grand finals every year. But, yeah, I mean, the reality is, is that Rewalt's played in three grand finals and cracked the bed in every single one of them. Mm. Very quickly forgotten by people at that point. Rewalt's always been a bit of a glorified flat track bully, but yeah, we won't get into that. So, um, yeah, look, yeah. I, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I didn't think that it would happen. Um, I just think that the travel that um, that these guys have gone to, you, you generally find that a, a player who's based out of Perth, pretty much by the time they hit 30, their, their performances fall off a cliff. And it happens quick and it happens fast. See Andrew Embley from the last couple of years as the example of what's standard with regards to that. And, I mean, that's... I guess that's a credit to Pav, which is, by the last couple of years, he's actually been incredibly durable throughout his career as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he look, even though he plays for Fremantle, he's somebody who I've, I've watched a lot of football of, and I, he's somebody who I respect as a, a tremendously great player. And, you know, with regards to the best players of this particular generation that have come through, he well and truly stands side by side with pretty much all of them, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Mark Duffield wrote an interesting article saying the biggest um, issue there was in terms of assessing Pavlich's legacy is that, with the exception of perhaps Gary Lyon, there hasn't really been another player like him. There hasn't been a player who started off as a defender, won an All-Australian there, yeah. then was able to perform as part of the midfield unit, like as a, as a hard-running midfielder, and then... Yeah, in in the last years of his season, establish himself as as yeah the the big well, tall lead up forward, um, and yeah, he was saying one of the difficulties we have is that when you try and compare him, I mean the Nick Rewald example is a very good one. Yeah. there's no way in the world that Nick Rewald could have possibly um, you know spent several seasons playing in the midfield. Yeah, or as a defender. Or as a defender. Yeah. The closest thing we've seen, to be honest, is probably Adam Goods. And I'll be honest with you, I'd take Pavlich over Goods. I know that that might seem so somewhat controversial mm-hmm. given Goods has won two Brownlows and Pavlich has won none, but I honestly believe that Pavlich has been a better player over his career than Goods has been. Yeah, and certainly, yeah, his versatility. Yeah, and that's a big part of the reason why, mm. is that he could... Pavlich is probably the only player that's played in this competition that could play every single position on the ground. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, congratulations. Big so, yeah, a hearty salute. Yes. And in fact, I think, yeah, if I remember, there was a, a photo taken of me after he kicked his 600th goal in that Frio game, which may have been more inspired by the fact that I happened to have him in my fantasy team that week. But yeah, it's a good example of uh, the Frio fever hitting <laughs> yeah. Dan. So I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll chuck that one up on Twitter. <laughs> there you go. Timbo, anything to add? No, nah, not to add. No, covered it. Happy? 
Yeah. Oh, good. You weren't you were at the Booper Bar perchance while the guy was done. No. <laughs> yeah. It's wharfy time. Let's close with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, our, uh, our favourite uh, racist news hound, uh, Donald Sterling, in the news again this week. Our favourite. It's a competitive field, is it? <laughs> yeah, well... There's a, uh, there's a few we're fond of, but this guy... Yeah. He's our number one. He takes racism <laughs> to a whole new level. Yeah. Um, the, uh, his wife selling the, the team for a cool $2 billion to former Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer, which was, was very interesting. $2 billion, uh, it's easily the biggest sale price for a, um, for a basketball team. And I think from memory, it's, it might even be more than what was paid for the Dodgers, which would make them the most expensive sale of all time. So Of all time! Of all time, <laughs> yes. So, very interesting. Um, given that Forbes valued the Clippers only, I think it was 12 months ago, at about $550 million. So, well and truly paid over the odds. It's uh, interesting. Should we get consumer affairs on something? <laughs> <laughs> so... Your thoughts, comments, anything to share? Well, I mean, how do you accurately gauge that value, really? Well, I mean, Particularly it, when you're dealing with ridiculously large figures like that. Yeah, it's going well, to be quite difficult to say you're out by. Apparently, uh, the Dodgers cost $2 billion. Yeah, so, so... same On par. There yeah, you go, yeah. Same, same I thought that was, that was about right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, look, it's interesting. I mean, the Bucks sold earlier this year for about five fifty million, and I wouldn't say that the Milwaukee market is anywhere near as lucrative as the LA market. So they're probably paying a little bit for the privilege of having a team in LA. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've got Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, who might not necessarily be two of the five best players in the league, but they're two of the five most marketable players. Well, that's Yeah, I would have thought that two bill was probably a bit rich, but I, I, I remember saying when we had the discussion about this originally that I thought that they'd get around about that mark. So the thing was, I think it was there was high demand for it. There was supposedly as many as twenty teams uh, or consortiums bidding for the right for that team. So the price gets pushed up and up and up as a bit of a consequence of that. I would have thought, but. Donald, yeah. uh, Donald's uh, put a countersuit in against the NBA, apparently trying to sue them for a billion dollars, so it could be, yeah. Is it because they're black? Don't know, don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yes, so interesting uh, interesting times afoot with regards to uh, with regards to that. So, yeah, two, re- two records, uh, well, three records set by the Clippers this year. They won the most number of games in the history of the franchise. First owner to be banned from being involved in his team, and now the biggest so sub price. Imagine so. those two points aren't connected. Yeah, and <laughs> then so. that, and now the biggest sub price. So big year in uh, LA. So yeah, but it's still not going to stop the hate from winning it again. Yeah, we're we're, we're tipping that. I'd fork out two <laughs> billion to see them not win it. That that now that would be money well Ooh. spent. Tell you what, if San Antonio get through, which is the probable outcome from the West now. The Heat won't have it all their own way because they won't have home home court advantage. So we could well see San Antonio knocking them off this year. And I tell you what, I'll be loving every second of that. Yeah, go you Spurs. 
And just while we're on that point, we finally got a prediction right. Can you believe it? Unbelievable. Yeah. Even clocks that have stopped are right yeah. twice a day, mate. That's <laughs> right. I'm shocked. How? Yeah. Not only did I say that they were that there were five teams with a legitimate chance, they were the last five teams left. There it is. Couldn't make that up. You wouldn't want to make it up. Yeah. You were a bit generalised though. I at least were ballsy enough to go with a specific team. Yeah. Thanks for that. It's probably the only team you know, but we won't get into that. Granted, yes. <laughs> Doesn't make it any less wrong. <laughs> so, Jeez, we're just settling in to watch uh, King Rafa at Roland Garros for another year. The man of clay, so to speak. Yeah, that's the one. Or, or not. But <laughs> I knew yeah. what I meant. <laughs> yes, I've, I've got a little theory on this, which I'll throw out there for you. And that is that, yeah, being privileged enough to see Rafa play on clay is probably the closest we can come to seeing Don Bradman bat. So, hmm. like, the, the, the ultimate compliment that you could possibly p- pay any sportsman. In terms of the, his level of dominance? In, yeah, in, in terms of just seeing the absolute unquestionable best of all time. Um, yeah. <laughs> And I guess in terms of uh, the the gap between him and the rest as well. I mean, I think Rafa, as a as an all court player, is probably one. Yeah, he'd been the top five of all time. But I think Rafa on clay, there's. I mean, no one even comes close mm. to touching him. Be like Bradman's um, average. The record speaks. Yeah, for exactly. That that is sort of what it's like. And it's not exactly like. The, there isn't much competition. I mean, mm. there's a guy who people say is arguably the greatest player of all time that yeah. he's up against, and there's certainly another couple of guys who are uh, certainly worthy adversaries as well. So, and I mean, in particular, this—if you're going to use the argument that Federer is the greatest of all time, then my counter to that straight away is immediately, therefore, Rafael Nadal is the greatest of all time, because their personal head-to-head record. Um, well, that's why he's, I said arguably. Mm. I, I wouldn't say that, but yeah. that doesn't mean that others won't. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It does lead to, to an interesting discussion, which I know we'll get to at some stage in the future. If you're talking about the greatest athlete of all time, what are you looking for? And how are you, I guess, determining what defines it? And why, obviously, one of the things that you you need to be to be considered the greatest athlete of all time is essentially the, a dominant player in some element in the field that you play. And it's Nadal certainly has that when it comes to, to clay court tennis. Yeah. I mean, his record, he's won all four of the Grand Slams. Um, I believe he's won 13 total um, now. Mm. So if, you know, if his knees and back and <laughs> ankles and everything else hold out for another... Mm. few years he he could potentially equal Federer's record mm. um, but I think irrespective of that the fact is well, doctors, yeah. doctors sat Nadal down in 2008 and said um, we're sorry your career is over you know mm. you, because of your um, I think it was a d- degenerative I think it was originally his back condition but then it forces him to um, exert so much pressure on his knees in order to overcome that um, and well, he's speaking, I guess speaking from personal experience with regards to a back, that's a very common yeah. 
issue to have. And I mean, he he sat there and apparently just cried like a baby when they told him that. Mm. Um, So let's not even think about the fact that he's won 13 Grand Slams. Just the fact that the guy is even out there competing sort of, you know, day in, day out on the on the circuit. That on its own is a is an enormous testament to his his strength of will and his yeah competitive um, spirit. Mm. But to then, yeah, have obviously absolute absolute supreme dominance on clay and have also won all three of the other Grand Slam events as well. Um, yeah, it's it is quite staggering really, when you think about it. So, Dan, I hear that week nine of the AFL fantasy season was uh, was not a strong one for you. Oh. There's one way of putting it. Yeah, not my best week. And I haven't had a good one since, actually. So The rot set in. Yeah. Well, what? I suppose I have to take it as a compliment that apparently I'm such a... Such a worthy adversary that both you and Timbo feel it necessary to tank the week before in order to to compete against me. <laughs> is, is that how you uh, you're choosing to play it? Is it? <laughs> well, yeah. Particularly in Timbo's case, because I certainly didn't see him, yeah, um, structuring his team in order to yeah meet anyone else in any of the buy rounds. But is that that's all you're going to say? Yep, that's all I'm going to say. That's what you're going to say. So, uh, you're not doing too well. You're, you're 0 for 3 against the, the podcasters thus far. Have you played the Bagman yet? Um, we've played a couple of times. I think we're 1 each. So you're 1 and 4 against the podcasters. Yeah, but what you really want to uh, talk about here is Timbo's, Timbo's recent record against the Bagman. Which is? 2 and 0. 2 and 0? Yeah. So, the Bagman. Three point victory last week. Oh, nice. So the Bagman's your bitch, is what you're saying? Pretty much, yeah. 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 There was some smudgeness from the Bagman in the first encounter. Just quickly smited down <laughs> <laughs> with a swift victory. <laughs> yeah. And then my um, ill-fated attempts to get the Bagman to claim claim vengeance for me. The week after Timbo beat me by tanking, I tried oh. to get the Bagman to tank that week because he was playing Timbo the next week. Mm. Somehow, mainly through, I think, picking 12 Richmond players on his field or so it seemed, he <laughs> yeah, managed to still come up two points short. Jack Rewald? I think we also need to put my tanking into perspective. Which involved an 800 point win to myself in round 8. Yeah, but that's because <laughs> the guy you played in round 8 scored like 900 or something ridiculous oh, like that. I it was like 600. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, does he not change his team, whatever? Yeah, there was a certain. Um, oh, that's the guy Jacko's playing this week. Yeah, oh. there was a certain preordained uh, feel to Timbo's cruisy run through the buy rounds this year, yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Speaking of uh, of which, a certain uh, Mr. Polo found out about his loss in the fantasy basketball this week. You didn't break it to him gently? No, it was quite hilarious, actually. Uh, He was uh, passing comment about how he won the league, and I said, yeah, you might want to go check the standings on that one. Just so you know, I'd ranted at one stage because I thought we... uh, I'd had a couple of people who were meant to be day by day, and... Day by day prolonged over three, four, five weeks. Yeah. To the point whereby I was running yeah, behind on games. Increasing angst. Yeah. On behalf of uh, DJ. Turns out that the the on the last day of the of the comp, 
I got up over the top of him. And he hadn't he hadn't looked at it, so he didn't even know. And he was his claimy victory, and I just said, "You might just want to check that." Yeah. His comment was, "Well, you played twenty eight more games, and you only won by forty five points. So I wouldn't be claiming that as a victory." I said, "Dude, mate, I don't care. It's what Yahoo says that yeah. matters, not what you say." <laughs> <laughs> Yahoo says, "Winner, me." Yeah. I mean, well played on um, yeah, just. <laughs> Um, correcting him, yeah. <laughs> let's say, yeah. But seriously, what sort of idiot just assumes victory in a league like that without first confirming the score? Somebody who's very busy and who has a baby, I'm assuming. Yeah, but so then you just don't assume that you've won, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> really, he um, walks right into that one. Yeah, yeah. no sympathy. No. I'm going for the three-feet, actually, next year. Could be interesting. What, of being mean to bar rounds? That too. 